0: Part Four of The Prince, by Niccolo Machiavelli, translated by W. K. Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Newfeld. Chapter Fourteen: That Which Concerns a Prince on the Subject of the Art of War. A prince ought to have no other aim or thought, nor select anything else for his study than war and its rules and discipline for this is the sole art that belongs to him who rules and it is of such force that it not only upholds those who are born princes but it often enables men to rise from a private station to that rank and on the contrary it is seen that when princes have thought more of ease than of arms they have lost their states and the first cause of your losing it is to neglect this art and what enables you to acquire a state is to be a master of the art francesco sforza through being marshal from a private person became duke of milan and the sons through avoiding the hardships and troubles of arms from dukes became private persons FOR AMONG OTHER EVILS WHICH BEING UNARMED BRINGS YOU, IT CAUSES YOU TO BE DESPISED, AND THIS IS ONE OF THOSE IGNOMINIES AGAINST WHICH A PRINCE OUGHT TO GUARD HIMSELF, AS IS SHOWN LATER ON. BECAUSE THERE IS NOTHING PROPORTIONATE BETWEEN THE ARMED AND THE UNARMED, AND IT IS NOT REASONABLE THAT HE WHO IS ARMED SHOULD YIELD OBEDIENCE WILLINGLY TO HIM WHO IS UNARMED, OR THAT THE UNARMED MAN SHOULD BE SECURE AMONG ARMED SERVANTS. Because, there being in the one disdain and in the other suspicion, it is not possible for them to work well together. And therefore a prince who does not understand the art of war over and above the other misfortunes already mentioned, cannot be respected by his soldiers, nor can he rely on them. He ought never, therefore, to have out of his thoughts this subject of war; and in peace he should addict himself more to its exercise than in war this he can do in two ways the one by action the other by study as regards action he ought above all things to keep his men well organized and drilled to follow incessantly the chase by which he accustoms his body to hardships and learns something of the nature of localities and gets to find out how the mountains rise how the valleys open out how the plains lie, and to understand the nature of rivers and marshes, and in all this to take the greatest care. Which knowledge is useful in two ways. Firstly, he learns to know his country, and is better able to undertake its defence. Afterwards, by means of the knowledge and observation of that locality, he understands with ease any other which it may be necessary for him to study hereafter because the hills, valleys, and plains, and rivers, and marshes that are, for instance, in Tuscany, have a certain resemblance to those of other countries, so that with a knowledge of the aspect of one country one can easily arrive at a knowledge of others. And the prince that lacks this skill lacks the essential which it is desirable that a captain should possess, for it teaches him to surprise his enemy, to select quarters, to lead armies, to array the battle to besiege towns to advantage philopemun prince of the achaeans among other praises which writers have bestowed on him is commended because in time of peace he never had anything in his mind but the rules of war and when he was in the country with friends he often stopped and reasoned with them if the enemy should be upon that hill and we should find ourselves here with our army with whom would be the advantage how would one best advance to meet him keeping the ranks if we should wish to retreat how ought we to pursue and he would set forth to them as he went all the chances that could befall an army he would listen to their opinion and state his confirming it with reasons so that by these continual discussions there could never arise in time of war any unexpected circumstances that he could not deal with but to exercise the intellect the prince should read histories and study there the actions of illustrious men to see how they have borne themselves in war to examine the causes of their victories and defeat so as to avoid the latter and imitate the former and above all do as an illustrious man did who took as an exemplar one who had been praised and famous before him and whose achievements and deeds he always kept in his mind As it is said, Alexander the Great imitated Achilles, Caesar Alexander, Scipio Cyrus, and whoever reads The Life of Cyrus, written by Xenophon, will recognize afterwards in The Life of Scipio how that imitation was his glory, and how in chastity, affability, humanity, and liberality Scipio conformed to those things which have been written of Cyrus by Xenophon. A wise prince ought to observe some such rules, and never in peaceful time stand idle, but increase his resources with industry in such a way that they may be available to him in adversity, so that if fortune chances it may find him prepared to resist her blows. CHAPTER Fifteen, CONCERNING THINGS FOR WHICH MEN, AND ESPECIALLY PRINCES, ARE PRAISED OR BLAMED it remains now to see what ought to be the rules of conduct for a prince towards subject and friends and as i know that many have written on this point i expect i shall be considered presumptuous in mentioning it again especially as in discussing it i shall depart from the methods of other people but it being my intention to write a thing which shall be useful to him who apprehends it it appears to me more appropriate to follow up the real truth of the matter than the imagination of it for many have pictured republics and principalities which in fact have never been known or seen because how one lives is so far distant from how one ought to live that he who neglects what is done for what ought to be done sooner affects his ruin than his preservation for a man who wishes to act entirely up to his professions of virtue soon meets with what destroys him among so much that is evil hence it is necessary for a prince wishing to hold his own to know how to do wrong and to make use of it or not according to necessity therefore putting on one side imaginary things concerning a prince and discussing those which are real i say that all men when they are spoken of and chiefly princes for being more highly placed are remarkable for some of those qualities which bring them either blame or praise and thus it is that one is reputed liberal another miserly using a tuscan term because an avaricious person in our language is still he who desires to possess by robbery whilst we call one miserly who deprives himself too much of the use of his own one is reputed generous one rapacious one cruel one compassionate one faithless another faithful one effeminate and cowardly another bold and brave one affable another haughty one lascivious another chaste one sincere another cunning one hard another easy one grave another frivolous one religious another unbelieving and the like And I know that every one will confess that it would be most praiseworthy in a prince to exhibit all the above qualities that are considered good. But because they can neither be entirely possessed nor observed, for human conditions do not permit it, it is necessary for him to be sufficiently prudent that he may know how to avoid the reproach of those vices which would lose him his state, and also to keep himself, if it be possible, from those which would not lose him it but this not being possible he may with less hesitation abandon himself to them and again he need not make himself uneasy at incurring a reproach for those vices without which the state can only be saved with difficulty for if everything is considered carefully it will be found that something which looks like virtue if followed would be his ruin whilst something else which looks like vice yet followed brings him security and prosperity chapter sixteen concerning liberality and meanness commencing then with the first of the above-named characteristics i say that it would be well to be reputed liberal nevertheless liberality exercised in a way that does not bring you the reputation for it injures you for if one exercises it honestly and as it should be exercised it may not become known and you will not avoid the reproach of its opposite therefore any one wishing to maintain among men the name of liberal is obliged to avoid no attribute of magnificence so that a prince thus inclined will consume in such acts all his property and will be compelled in the end if he wish to maintain the name of liberal to unduly weigh down his people and tax them and do everything he can to get money this will soon make him odious to his subjects and becoming poor he will be little valued by any one thus with his liberality having offended many and rewarded few He is affected by the very first trouble, and imperiled by whatever may be the first danger. Recognizing this himself, and wishing to draw back from it, he runs at once into the reproach of being miserly. Therefore, a prince not being able to exercise this virtue of liberality in such a way that it is recognized, except to his cost, if he is wise, he ought not to fear the reputation of being mean for in time he will come to be more considered than if liberal seeing that with his economy his revenues are enough that he can defend himself against all attacks and is able to engage in enterprises without burdening his people thus it comes to pass that he exercises liberality towards all from whom he does not take who are numberless and meanness towards those to whom he does not give who are few WE HAVE NOT SEEN GREAT THINGS DONE IN OUR TIME, EXCEPT BY THOSE WHO HAVE BEEN CONSIDERED MEAN. THE REST HAVE FAILED. Pope Julius II was assisted in reaching the papacy by the reputation for liberality, yet he did not strive afterwards to keep it up, when he made war on the King of France. And he made many wars without imposing any extraordinary tax on his subjects, for he supplied his additional expenses out of his own thriftiness. The present king of Spain would not have undertaken or conquered in so many enterprises if he had been reputed liberal. A prince, therefore, provided that he has not to rob his subjects, that he can defend himself, that he does not become poor and abject, that he is not forced to become rapacious, ought to hold of little account a reputation for being mean, for it is one of those vices which will enable him to govern. And if any one should say, Caesar obtained empire by liberality, and many others have reached the highest positions by being liberal, and by being considered so, I answer, either you are a prince in fact, or in a way to become one. In the first case, this liberality is dangerous. In the second, it is very necessary to be considered liberal. And Caesar was one of those who wished to become preeminent in Rome but if he had survived after becoming so and had not moderated his expenses he would have destroyed his government and if any one should reply many have been princes and have done great things with armies who have been considered very liberal i reply either a prince spends that which is his own or his subjects or else that of others in the first case he ought to be sparing in the second he ought not to neglect any opportunity for liberality and the prince who goes forth with his army supporting it by pillage sack and extortion handling that which belongs to others this liberality is necessary otherwise he would not be followed by soldiers and of that which is neither yours nor your subjects you can be a ready giver as were cyrus caesar and alexander because it does not take away your reputation if you squander that of others, but adds to it. It is only squandering your own that injures you. And there is nothing waste so rapidly as liberality, for even whilst you exercise it you lose the power to do so, and so become either poor or despised, or else, in avoiding poverty, rapacious and hated and a prince should guard himself above all things against being despised and hated, and liberality leads you to both. Therefore it is wiser to have a reputation for meanness which brings reproach without hatred than to be compelled through seeking a reputation for liberality to incur a name for rapacity which begets reproach with hatred. CHAPTER Seventeen concerning cruelty and clemency and whether it is better to be loved than feared coming now to the other qualities mentioned above i say that every prince ought to desire to be considered clement and not cruel nevertheless he ought to take care not to misuse this clemency cesare borgia was considered cruel notwithstanding his cruelty reconciled the romagna unified it and restored it to peace and loyalty and if this be rightly considered he will be seen to have been much more merciful than the florentine people who to avoid a reputation for cruelty permitted pistoia to be destroyed therefore a prince so long as he keeps his subjects united and loyal ought not to mind the reproach of cruelty because, with a few examples, he will be more merciful than those who, through too much mercy, allow disorders to arise, from which follow murders or robberies. For these are wont to injure the whole people, whilst those executions which originate with a prince offend the individual only. And of all princes, it is impossible for the new prince to avoid the imputation of cruelty, owing to new states being full of dangers hence virgil through the mouth of dido excuses the inhumanity of her reign owing to its being new saying nevertheless he ought to be slow to believe and to act nor should he himself show fear but proceed in a temperate manner with prudence and humanity so that too much confidence may not make him incautious and too much distrust render him intolerable upon this a question arises whether it be better to be loved than feared or feared than loved it may be answered that one should wish to be both but because it is difficult to unite them in one person it is much safer to be feared than loved when of the two either must be dispensed with because this is to be asserted in general of men that they are ungrateful fickle false cowardly covetous and as long as you succeed they are yours entirely they will offer you their blood property life and children as is said above when the need is far distant but when it approaches they turn against you and that prince who relying entirely on their promises has neglected other precautions is ruined because friendships that are obtained by payments and not by greatness or nobility of mind may indeed be earned but they are not secured and in time of need cannot be relied upon and men have less scruple in offending one who is beloved than one who is feared for love is preserved by the link of obligation which owing to the baseness of men is broken at every opportunity for their advantage but fear preserves you by a dread of punishment which never fails Nevertheless, a prince ought to inspire fear in such a way that, if he does not win love, he avoids hatred. Because he can endure very well being feared whilst he is not hated, which will always be as long as he abstains from the property of his citizens and subjects, and from their women. But when it is necessary for him to proceed against the life of some one, he must do it on proper justification and for manifest cause. But above all things, he must keep his hands off the property of others, because men more quickly forget the death of their father than the loss of their patrimony. Besides, pretexts for taking away the property are never wanting, for he who has once begun to live by robbery will always find pretexts for seizing what belongs to others. But reasons for taking life, on the contrary, are more difficult to find and sooner lapse, but when a prince is with his army and has under control a multitude of soldiers then it is quite necessary for him to disregard the reputation for cruelty for without it he would never hold his army united or disposed to its duties among the wonderful deeds of hannibal this one is enumerated that having led an enormous army composed of many various races of men to fight in foreign lands no dissensions arose either among them or against the prince whether in his bad or in his good fortune this arose from nothing else than his inhuman cruelty which with his boundless valor made him revered and terrible in the sight of his soldiers but without that cruelty his other virtues were not sufficient to produce this effect and short-sighted writers admire his deeds from one point of view and from another condemn the principal cause of them that it is true his other virtues would not have been sufficient for him may be proved by the case of Scipio, that most excellent man not only of his own times but within the memory of man against whom nevertheless his army rebelled in spain this arose from nothing but his too great forbearance which gave his soldiers more license than is consistent with military discipline for this he was upbraided in the senate by fabius maximus and called the corrupter of the roman soldiery the locrians were laid waste by a legate of scipio yet they were not avenged by him nor was the insolence of the legate punished owing entirely to his easy nature insomuch that some one in the senate wishing to excuse him said there were many men who know much better how not to err than to correct the errors of others this disposition if he had been continued in the command would have destroyed in time the fame and glory of Scipio. but he being under the control of the senate this injurious characteristic not only concealed itself but contributed to his glory returning to the question of being feared or loved I come to the conclusion that, men loving according to their own will and fearing according to that of the prince, a wise prince should establish himself on that which is in his own control, and not in that of others. He must endeavor only to avoid hatred, as is noted. End of part four.